This episode of Home Truths was sponsored by Heels, design that lasts a lifetime. I remember on my first day, I I, I went in and um, and I sat down and I was I was briefed on all the projects that were going on and um, I just felt like oh my god I I won't be able to do this this is just too much I. Uh, I'm I'm not I'm not good enough. I I I I can't I can't I can't uh, I can't deal with this. And I I remember um, the first day I I had to I had to leave and and I just left at six o'clock and I didn't say goodbye to anyone. From Living Etc magazine, this is Home Truths, a show about the fascinating stories behind some of the most iconic pieces, movements and moments of modern design, revealed by the designers themselves. I'm Pip McCormack, and on the show today, how designer Linda Baronke pivoted from a career in modelling to becoming the design director of Soho House, overseeing and creating more projects in a year than many people get to work on in a lifetime. If you went to a bar or restaurant any time around the start of 2010s, you would have experienced a Soho houseification of design. Club chairs, sumptuous colours, velvets, a seemingly random assortment of knickknacks became the look of the generation and it all started at Soho House. Now, Linda wasn't responsible for creating this look, but instead took over the brand and its fully formed aesthetic signature in 2015. And she managed to keep projects such as Soho House Barcelona feeling like both her and the company she works for. She now manages 100 people, is responsible for the visuals in a company where visuals are hugely important, and with places like White City House in the BBC TV Centre building and the candy floss pink poolside cabanas at Mumbai Soho House, is consistently setting the style agenda. Before this episode, Linda chose five key milestones which helped to get to where she is today. And by giving us a story behind them, she's going to tell us how she did it. Starting with a competition. So I was second year in a university and um, I took I took the course very seriously, probably too seriously at the time. I, I never missed an exam. I was always there. I always did, did extra curriculum. And um, and my head teacher, uh, Kay Newman at the time, um, she she took a she, she took a liking in me and um, she she asked me aside one day and handed me a leaflet, um, which was about this award. She she told me that I should try it. And it seemed too good to be true but uh obviously I, I i had a go at it and um and yeah a few months passed and um and i got shortlisted um i i think there were hundreds hundreds of entries from all around the the country um everyone could apply who was either on a program or of a university program or was already working as an interior designer for no longer than three to five years um and i got shortlisted to do uh to, to six and then and then i remember getting the call um that i won so it was uh, quite incredible it was a fantastic award um very very prestigious um organized by the british institute of interior design and uh, tom dixon was also part of the of the judging panel and at the time it was a big deal um i got awarded um britain's best emerging interior designer during the 100 percent design awards and i as part of my um uh, win i got uh, my own stand um 
on on the exhibition. So um, so it was amazing, and I got a lot of press out of it. So um, it really helped me launch my career and and started as a freelancer interior designer at the time. I I, I started my own company and and started working on uh, residential and commercial interior design. What had you actually submitted to the competition? The competition was about um, designing someone's um, um, apartment. There was a very uh, detailed description about this persona. Um, he was a young professional, um, quite a jet setter. Um, he was working in the creative industry. Um, so I, I submitted a, a living room and a bedroom a design, of, you know, fully fully detailed um, with the lighting design and furniture and everything. And I, I did a little visual for it and, and, and a statement. And 100% design is where, you know, the great and the good of the design world all sort of traips through, don't they? It's the press, it's industry people, it's public. It must have been an amazing showcase opportunity. What was on your stand? What did it all look like? Uh, it was it was just uh, amazing. I, I could not believe um, what was happening to me. Um during the whole process as well, but I tried to, I, you know, gather all the products that I had in my design um, to showcase on my stand. I, I got to meet so many interesting people from the design world, um, and I, I, I started to work on on my relationship with uh, suppliers. Um, as part of the 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 winning entry, I also um, received an internship at Johnson Naylor. So, um, as during my time there, um, the majority of my time was spent designing the the exhibition stand itself. Um, and obviously, during during the exhibition, I just met so many interesting people. And this was the first time I actually managed to to meet Tom Dixon himself as well. Um, and were you still modelling at the time? Yes, I was. I was. Um, obviously, that was my my only income. Um, but uh, modeling itself uh, requires a lot of time, and um, and like I said, I took I took studying very seriously, and um, and I wasn't I couldn't be as flexible as modeling would have required me to. Um, when you model, you have to go to castings and go and sees all day, um, and then sometimes, although I guess most of the time, uh, the jobs are coming in last minute. It. So they can just call you one night and say, pack your bags, you're flying to Mexico for two weeks and you always have to be available, um, which was quite difficult to manage once you're, once you're in a full-time um, university program. <laughs> sure. So you just met Tom Dixon at 100% Design and I know he was a hero of yours. This was when he was at his biggest, wasn't it? It was 2008, his copper pendant was out. He was sort of taking over the scene. He was like the godfather of British design, I guess. Was it that meeting um, that got you the internship with him? Absolutely, yes. Um, I, I've always been a huge fan of his, and um, and and my um, entry also included some of his pieces. Um, and when I met him, I, I didn't actually think much of it. I just I, I was just really gobsmacked that I I can meet my one of my idols. Um, but we stayed in touch. Um, he had some projects in the making in, in Budapest, or at least some that he was um, applying for. So, you know, over the, 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 the following few months, uh, sometimes we exchanged emails, but I was very uh, occupied by my own um, business. 
And um, not uh, until another year or a year, a year and a half later when, uh, when we got in touch again and, and I met him at his studio and he showed me around and uh, we started talking and he kind of offered me um, the position of an intern, which worked really well for me at the time because I was in London. I was still doing my own work uh, on the side, but I, I had some time to do internships as well. So, and I felt like this is an amazing opportunity I can't miss. Um, I, I would learn so much and, and I wasn't wrong. Um, so I ended up um, doing an internship for him for, um, for six months. And what sort of duties did he have you doing? Um, I was mainly uh, involved in the interior design um, part of the project. Um, of, of the of the company, um, they they call, they were called a design research studio. So it was like a separate entity within Tom Dixon. But I also managed to get a glimpse inside uh, the product design uh, department, and um, it was just it was just an amazing exposure to to all kinds of you know um, skills that I wanted to wanted to broaden my own skill set in. At the time, uh, Tom was uh, was legendary. I mean, he still is, but uh, it was just such an exciting period and there was so much going on. And I guess that as things were gathering pace, keeping up with modelling was getting even harder? Yeah, that's right. Um, I was I was working at Tom Dixon when I got a phone call from my agent, who was who has been my agent for the past um, five five years. And uh, he, he told me that um, basically... Um, they they believe in me as an interior designer and they know that I'm gonna I'm gonna be very successful because I take it so seriously and I won the award but um I can't do both in the same time I have to I have to give up modeling um and it was it was very shocking at the time it was something you know I relied on heavily and not just financially but also it was a security emotionally as well being part of that company and and to know that you know I have I have I have a different um, future ahead of me as well, if I had to. Um, but um, yeah, I remember that was a shocking phone call and, uh, and I felt very scared of the future. But um, this really helped me um, launch myself into interior design 100, 100%. And, uh, and I guess it was an end of an era and, and the beginning of a new when I started modeling when I was 18, I, I traveled the world. I lived um, from Paris to New York to Milan to Tokyo. Um, you know, a life of model is quite uh, stressful and intense, both physically and emotionally. But in the same time, there are and some amazing opportunities. And and really, wherever you go, the red carpet is rolled out for you. Um, you're you're always on the guest list of the of the trendiest parties. You meet um, all the famous people. You're you're treated differently. Um, you you stay in beautiful hotels. Um, basically, it's a very luxurious lifestyle. And then all of a sudden, I found myself, um, you know, at Tom Dixon, which was an amazing, amazing experience. But in the same time, I lived in Streatham. I, I spent um, three hours commuting to work, work that didn't pay me anything. Um, Basically, after my studies, you know, for um, in interior design, I hadn't had a steady income from modeling. So it was just a very, very um, contrasting lifestyle that I, I had at the time. And I guess it just made me uh, stronger and, and, and uh, made me realize that, uh, yes, I am giving up something that is very uh, comfortable and something I relied on for the past um, 
five to six uh, years, but um, but I'm 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 starting something a lot more exciting and something that I truly truly want to do because I never really uh, was able to to um, to imagine myself as a model. I used it as an opportunity to travel and to meet interesting people and then to expose myself to different cultures, which I was always very interested in, but. Um, but I saw myself as someone different and someone a bit of an outsider. And that wasn't the case when I when I started studying interior design, when I started working at Tom Dixon. I, I've, I've, I've truly felt that I, I, I found myself in that profession. So, yes, it was scary. And also it was quite exciting. Uh, a, a, new, a door just opened for me fully. So I had to walk through it. <laughs> so in 2011, you were offered a new job. How did that come about? So I, I've been working for Tom Dixon for a while now. Um, I, I worked as an intern first, and then um, he asked me to do some pers- help, help him on some of his personal projects as well. Um, but those projects were coming to an end, and um, and I, I I felt like maybe it was time that I, I moved on. So I just started looking on the market. This was my first time that I was starting to applying for, for full-time positions. And, uh, and an opportunity came up at Martin Budniski Design Studio. Um, I, I, to be honest, I didn't, I didn't know who he was at the time. <laughs> I shouldn't be proud of that, but um, I, I remember going into the to the studio for an interview, and and I did my research before that, and I was blown away by by the projects he was doing. But um, I had I had I didn't know that 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 design world at the time, and um, and I got I got into the interview room, and um, they really liked me. They called me back, and I don't know what happened, but I got this associate design position, which was. Which was quite senior, a lot, a lot more senior than I would have deserved at the time. I thought, um, and um, yes, it was, it was very. I, I was petrified. I remember the first, the first few weeks and months, and um, and Martin, uh, <laughs> Martin gave me a pretty hard time at the beginning as well. So I really had to prove myself. In what way? <laughs> I don't know. I think he just wanted me to prove myself. Um, you know, from the outside, I didn't seem someone who had a lot of experience. Um, I was a pretty girl. Uh, maybe he was a bit um, doubtful that I could I could do the job. Um, but I I'm actually very grateful for that. Uh, looking back, because I, it just made me a lot stronger and made me want the the position a lot more. And you know, by the time he warmed up to me, he became a very very important mentor for me, and and I learned so much from him. So um, it was it was a fantastic um, experience professionally. And by the way, what sort of things did Martin have you doing? So I was an associate FFNE designer. Um, so my primary duties were uh, coming up with concepts for each and every project, um, and then uh, doing the selection of uh, furniture and lighting, all the accessories, all the antique pieces. And then when we had bespoke uh, elements, I had to design them as well. So um, the FFNE designer at Martin Brudniski is predominantly carrying all the all the responsibilities of of the creative roles uh, from the concept to completion and including all the decorative elements that goes into a project. I just want to interrupt this conversation to talk about our sponsor, Heels. As many of you know, the British Interior Store has been selling fabulous design for over a century, and this week is the last week of its amazing summer sale. 
With up to 50% off in key areas such as lighting, furniture, tableware and sofas, there are also reductions on big brands like Case and Tom Dixon, who, coincidentally, is next week's podcast guest. Head to any of the Heels stores or to heels.com to bag yourself a beautiful bargain. Thanks very much to Heels, design that lasts a lifetime. A lot of people who want to work in the industry seem to want to branch out on their own with their own studios. But you've done that and we're now in a big agency. What sort of skills do you pick up in a company like this? I picked up uh, uh, product design. Um, All the FFNE designers at Martin Brudniski are very skilled um, product designers um, because there are so many bespoke elements that go into every single project. So I really had to um, refine that skill set of mine. And obviously, he's got a very unique um, design vision. he uses a, a lot of colors, uh, a lot, lots of historical references. Um, he's a very, very skilled um, architect and interior designer. So um, I've learned so much. Um, and it was a very dis- different perspective on design than what I v- was used to from, from my studies or, or from working at Tom Dixon. So it was very interesting. Which of Martin's projects were you working on? So when I joined, um, they were just finishing off uh, uh, Soho Beach House Miami, um, which was with Soho House. Um, I started working on um, Soho House Mumbai, which is very ironic because I guess that was in 2011 and um, we just finished it um, in 2018 when I was already working at Soho House. So that project um, really, uh, that project was waiting for me basically (laughs) to finish it off. Um, I was working on a number of Jamie Jamie Oliver restaurants at the time. um, Jamie Oliver was huge and we we did a lot of of restaurants for him and a couple of projects for Richard Caring and the Caprice group. Now, I was going to ask about your relationship with Soho House, actually, because I had wondered if there was a bit of foreshadowing going on. So obviously Martin was so linked to the group, you know, with Soho Beach House Miami. And I I think he was doing up the founder of Soho House, Nick Jones's house at the time, too. Did this feel like a glimpse into your future? What was your relationship with the brand at the time? Um, it was really non-existent. I, I have I've rarely met anyone from Soho House. I was... Um... I was I was on a couple of uh, presentations, but it was mainly Martin who was um, who was client facing. Um, so um, there is a lovely link in there, but um, I think it's just it's just a coincidence, really. And I guess you know I had that skill set, and um, and then when they were looking for a design director, um, the last I I I joined when I joined Soho House. Um, I knew I knew a lot of people from from Soho House because they used to work at Martin Brudniski. So um, actually, a lot of people from my team who uh, who I was working with um, are have, have been working for for Martin Brudniski previously. And this was a really key moment to be at Martin Brudniski. I think he was doing some really interesting things at the time. I remember when um, Soho Beach House Miami opened, I was writing about it and I was completely struck by his concept of the OWC trolley, which was the one while changing trolley. Um, It meant that uh, they would wheel this cocktail trolley around while people were sort of changing from out of their pool clothes into their evening clothes. And they, they were meant to bring a cocktail to your room. And it just sort of felt like this real moment of hospitality and design and comfort and luxury. And it sort of felt like the pinnacle of 
you know, where we were all at in 2011. Um, I wonder how much of that you sort of soaked up as a relatively young designer. I would like to think that, yes. <laughs> I mean, like I said, there was just so many, so many things uh, you could, you could, could soak up at, at Martin's studio um, and obviously I was hungry for knowledge and I just tried I tried to be a sponge and and take as much in as, as possible. And then how did it feel when you finally got the job at Soho House you know the big job the job you're in now? Yeah well um, it felt unreal I remember getting an email on my birthday um, in 2015 uh, that they were looking for a design director and if I was interested and I kind of I, I, I sort of thought for a second that it was perhaps a joke um, someone was playing with me um, but then you know I followed up and it seemed it seemed real and um, and I um, I started in February so everything just happened relatively fast um, and at the time, the, the studio was relatively small. Um, there were about um, 10 designers and uh, maybe 15 architects. Um, so, um, you know, compared to the size it is now, it was still a very, very boutique, um, boutique um, interior design company. But um, I remember on my first day, I, I, I went in and, um, and I sat down and I was, I was briefed on all the projects that were going on and, um, and the pipeline. And I just felt like, oh my God, I, I won't be able to do this. This is just too much. I, uh, I I'm, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't deal with this. And I, I remember um, the first day I, I had to, I had to leave. I never, never in my life had a panic attack, but on that day I did. And, and I just left at six o'clock and I didn't say goodbye to anyone. I just had to process everything that just happened to me. And, <laughs> and I had a good night's sleep. And then the day after I went in and it's like it, nothing happened. And, and it, ever since it's been just the greatest ride of my life. You know, I'm not surprised, Linda, how daunting that must have felt. That sort of Soho Houseification of design that they created, that design signature through Martin and through Vicky Charles, who was there before you. I mean, to step into those shoes is huge. Did it feel like you had to continue that look or were you given free reign to do your own thing and make it feel like you? No, I was actually surprised how much free reign I, I, I got. Um, uh, Nick is, is is so hungry for 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 new ideas, and um, he just wants the company to evolve and move forward and to renew itself constantly. He understands that there is a, a need from um, that, that comes from the members as well to to wanting new experiences and to be constantly surprised, and and that and therefore he. Yeah, he's given me so much freedom to to design and um, to come up with new ideas, and he so he's very very open to them. Obviously, there is a very strong uh, design aesthetic that Soho House represents, and that is coming directly from Nick. Um, he's got a very strong vision about you know every single house, what he wants to you know see um, in them, and how he wants he wants the members to experience them. But in the same time, he's um, extremely encouraging and um, and very, very open to, to suggestions. And I sort of feel like since you joined the company, there's been a real different aesthetic coming through. It still feels like Soho House, of course, but, you know, particularly Barcelona felt really pretty. Did that house feel like your project? Yeah, I felt like that, you know... Um, I, I had to bring in my own signature and um, and part of it is, you know, being feminine and um, and obviously every single project um, is starting with like the 
architecture and the location and and the members um and and what we want to achieve from from that particular club um but in the same time there has to be an overarching design language that connects them all and um and I guess like subconsciously as well, um, they because they were they they've been led uh, by me. Um, there there is go- there is going to be a um, a design language that is um, that generally uh, connects them all. And by the way, what point are you actually brought into the project? Do you help choose the building, or is it already chosen? And you sort of come in to do the design. How does it work? So usually uh, the building is already chosen. Um, there is a d- development team who are doing all the feasibilities and uh, they are looking for the right building, sometimes for years, um, long after uh, a city has been uh, decided as a target for a, for a new club opening. Um, and then, you know, as soon as, as some sort of deal is signed, um, that's when I get brought on board and and that's when yeah I usually visit site with Nick and and a very small team and that's when the first um, design briefing usually takes place. Okay now fast forward a couple of years and I've got a list here of all the openings that happened in 2018 that you were overseeing. I'm just going to read it out because I think it's absolutely bonkers that you had this much to do in one year. Okay here we go. So in 2018 you opened Greek Street Club, Kettner's, Café Bohème, White City House, Giacconi's Pizza Bar, Soho House Amsterdam, Barcelona Peach House and Soho House Mumbai that you started all those years ago back in Martin Brudniski. I left out a couple because we, we opened two Giacconi's Pizza Bars, one in Soho, one in Shoreditch. We opened uh, Ratcher's Townhouse as well as we did a, a farm phase two at Soho Farmhouse. So, um, yeah, this is all in how, one year. <laughs> how do you even manage to keep track of that many projects? I mean, it was a very busy year. Um, it's always busy, um, but usually it's busy in the studio um, when there are a lot of openings, and especially around the world like this, um, that involves a lot of traveling as well. And, um, you know, we're constantly looking at new ways of doing projects. Um, but at the time, you know, and in 2019, we, we were still very, very hands-on. So that meant that... Um, for example, when we opened Amsterdam, I, I was there for at least two weeks, um, nonstop, to, to you know, to 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 install the furniture, to to source um, antiques last minute, um, you know, for everything that needs to happen uh, during an opening, and the same in Mumbai, and the same um, in Barcelona. I actually uh, loved that year. I, I I go back to my photos and my Instagram stories, and um, and when I fa- feel very nostalgic, and um, it's it's been a it's been a great ride. I said when I started at at uh, Soho House, I had a team about ten, and uh, and now it's nearly a hundred. I mean, who knows how many there will be? Unfortunately, because of COVID, um, but. But we, we, we have grown a lot. And in 2018, we were at the peak. So um, we could not have handled otherwise. Uh, you know, I haven't done it all by myself. There's a, there's a very talented um, and, and big team that's behind me. So um, we just work really hard and, and we love, we enjoy, we enjoy working. So the question everybody always wants to know, and it would be remiss of me not to ask, is where do you source? Because your eye is so exquisite and the things you find for these houses are so sumptuous and elegant. Where do you find these pieces? 
Oh, what? we don't have we don't have one go to place. <laughs> we have <laughs> we have several. We have like hundreds. Um, well, a lot of the pieces we design ourselves as well. We love designing bespoke. Um, and I guess part of the Soho House experience is that you walk in and you you sort of have to wonder where everything is coming from because it's not the catalog piece. It's not something you can order online. Um, so yeah, a lot of it is bespoke and a lot of it is vintage. And and the vintage comes from all over the place. Uh, you know, sometimes from the internet, sometimes from eBay itself, and then sometimes we just go to markets uh, all around the UK or in France and sometimes in Italy. Um, and we hire a big truck and uh, we are about you know three four designers. Okay. Five a.m. in the morning, everyone goes. Um, bargaining and and getting getting amazing pieces back to back to back to London now I have to ask this is so far from where you started out on your own interning for Tom Dixon what's the difference between being part of a wider organization and running your own company well I guess um they are so different um when you're running your own company um it is it is a, it is a very very hard work uh, it's also very rewarding because it's it's your name um and you have to do everything yourself um you <laughs> there's no one else around you at least at the beginning um i guess it must be quite daunting but because i didn't know anything else at the time this was you know, I, I was still in university, basically, when I started my own company. Um, I, I had no comparison and um, and I had nothing to lose. So I was fearless. Um, when you're working for somebody else, um, you always have to comply, obviously, with, with the company's um, aesthetic as well and and their strategy and and their and their vision um and lucky and, and luckily this aligns with mine so <laughs> um what would you say to young interior designers trying to get a foothold into the industry well you know i think it's a very competitive industry um and especially nowadays um it is going to be hard to 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 break in but i would just say to them to to educate themselves, to to uh, build a very strong portfolio. I think building a portfolio nowadays is easier than it has ever been because of all the resources everyone has on the internet. Um, they can just build an imaginary portfolio if they wanted to from Pinterest or Instagram. Um, they, ha- I would, I would, I would suggest them to learn as much as they can. Um, about other designers, um, train their eyes, uh, look at a lot of art, um, a lot of um, movies, um, listen to music, uh, read literature, get inspired by everything that's around you, and and try to try to think hard about where you want to be. I I I'm I always had a five year plan, and uh, sometimes it's really hard to come up with one. But because it's hard, it it makes you think about what you really want to do, what you, what you really want to get out of this profession. And I think um, you have to stay focused. You can't allow yourself to just drift and and to let, you know, to see what happens. Um, I think you really have to stay focused and know where you want to get to and work towards it. And that brings me on perfectly to a question I always like to ask my guests. How close are you to your master plan at the moment? <laughs> I am. I'm very, very, I'm very close. I'm, I'm almost there. <laughs> so what's next at Soho House? What are you doing? 
Um, so um, we were very busy working on uh, Tel Aviv. Uh, we're working on uh, Soho House in Milan, Rome, Paris. Um, Lisbon is in the pipeline. And, um, and we are doing a lot of refurbishments at the moment. Uh, so we're getting ready to reopen all the clubs in the UK as well. Can you tell us anything about what Tel Aviv is going to look like? Um, well, you know, as always, we, we took a lot of inspiration from from the local architecture and, and design history. Um, the building itself is very classical and it's got some European um, um, design um, um, motifs. But we also took a lot of inspiration from the Bauhaus um, movement in, in Tel Aviv itself. So it is going to be quite eclectic. Um, so we'll see. It's, it's a bit quirky. It's quirkier than usual. Oh, I can't wait to see it. Well, listen, now we're going to move on to the quick fire section of the podcast, the home truth section. So which is your favourite house? Oh, my God. I, I, I told you I won't be able to respond to that. OK, maybe let's say Soho House Amsterdam. And why is that? I love um, the architecture of that building itself and um, the proportions and the, 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 the quality of light. And I think we managed to build something very special there. What was the last piece of homeware you bought? Um, I bought a lovely a set of like a glassware. Uh, they are um, like this swirly, swirly Murano glass and, and all of them are different colors. Where did you get them from? I, I got it from, uh, from an Italian supplier, actually, who uh, usually does um, lighting for us. <laughs> okay. So it's quite special. <laughs> and do you watch much TV? Um, I never watch TV. Okay. Uh, so what do you do instead of watching TV? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I read and I like to watch movies. Um, you know, something that I plan. Maybe I, I watch a movie once a week or twice a week. Um, uh, but yeah, usually I, I actually I just I usually end up working at night or if I have a little time that I read. Oh, that's right. Because when I interviewed you a few years ago, I remember you telling me that a lot of your interior inspiration came from old movies. Is that still the case? Yeah, no, absolutely. The, uh, movies are still one of my biggest, biggest inspiration for any any interiors we do. Have you seen any movies recently that have inspired your aesthetic? Well, um, I actually just watched Yo-Yo Rabbit. Um, and, and the set design in there was very, very interesting. I loved the use of colour and wallpaper. Lastly, where can people find you on Instagram? Oh, it's very easy. It's just my name, Elinda Boronke. Perfect. Linda, thank you so much for your time. It was so lovely to hear you talk. You too. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Home Truths. In the meantime, don't forget to buy the latest issue of Living Etc. in the stores now. And to follow us on Instagram on at Living Etc. UK and me on at Pitt McCormack. See you next time. This episode of Home Truths was sponsored by Heels, design that lasts a lifetime.